Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Social Review Podcast. I'm your host, Jasper, at Jasper underscore CH on Twitter. And today I'm delighted to be joined by... So my name is Jermaine Jackman. I'm a singer-songwriter, youth activist, Labour Party activist and founder of the 1987 Caucus. Yeah, and I'm Armin Tesfaye. I'm also a youth activist within the party uh, and also an activist within the 1987 Caucus uh, as well as Open Labour. I am the North London rep for Open Labour London as well. My name is Jake Cable. My Twitter handle is JAA Cable. Um, I am a Labour Party activist. I am proudly serving and rerunning uh, on and for the Open Labour National Committee. Uh, I am a lab technician as a profession, um, but in my spare time, I like to complain about the ridiculous state of our society most of the time. So, um, yeah, lots to do. Thanks. Thank you all so much for coming on the podcast. Um, listeners, uh, this may be slightly rushed and with a lot of elation because we've just spent ages trying to get Jake on and get the technical Wi-Fi stuff working, which has now successfully worked right in the nick of time. Incredibly exciting. You guys are all involved in the 1987 caucus, Jermaine, and you set it up. Um, and that's primarily what we're going to be talking about today. So Jermaine, would you just be able to talk a little bit about what the 1987 caucus is and why you set it up? Yeah, absolutely. So the 1987 caucus is a group of young black men within the Labour Party uh, who are campaigning for better and increasing representation. Um, we're an anti-racist organisation, so we're, we're, we're trying to fight racism wherever it pops its head and structural and institutional racism um, and campaigning for better representation in the, in the whole party. Um, but also acknowledging uh, the shortages of, of black male representatives <coughs> within the party. And the reason why I set it up was um, a couple of months back, I ran in the NEC BAME elections. Uh, and that experience really opened my eyes out to the ups and downs of campaigning, the struggles, um, but also the highlighting the issues that affect a number of black and ethnic minority members. One of those issues and the concerns that kept on uh, being raised to me was the lack of black male representation within the party. I've got some statistics, but I don't know if I, if I should go too deep into it too soon. Uh, but there is a lack of black male representation in the party. And as a young black man myself, I wanted to see that sense of representation within an organization that I support and advocate for. Um, because as it looks right now, the Tory party are doing way better on, in terms of black men than our own party. Uh, so I set up this group with the help of, of our men and Jake and other individuals who um, joined the, this WhatsApp group. And we've set up our Twitter profile, so follow us at the 1987 Caucus. Uh, and yeah, we're just growing stronger and stronger with each day and each week as we go by. Um, and we're we're actually now talking about our strategic campaigning and what our goals are and how we're going to achieve them. That kind of leads on to what um, I wanted to ask next about um, uh, what kind of changes and what kind of reforms the 1987 caucus wants to see because obviously you're specifically geared at the Labour Party um, named after the 1987 general election when those first um, black Labour MPs were elected. Um, so what, what kind of internal reforms does the 1987 caucus want to see um, to the Labour Party? So we wrote this article in Labour List, and I, I would like to encourage all your listeners to go ahead and, and read it. And we have a, a set of asks from, from the party, not solely for black men, but also for representation in general. 
Um, and some of those things is, is looking into all um, BAME parliamentary selection lists, um, expanding the successful uh, Bernie Grant leadership program, which helps to, to organize and encourage and support BAME activists. Um, to review the process of the recommendations to the House of Lords, um, so we can ensure that more ethnic minorities are appointed to the House of Lords. Uh, recently in the rule book, in the Labour Party rule book, they made some changes to chapter 14. Uh, so we would like to see the implementations of the, the chapter 14, which talks about setting up um, BAME structures and CLPs and regional structures, so we can encourage young and, and underground activists to have a say in how our party is, is, is functioning and also the, the recommendations from um, the democracy review in two years. But if we really check it, um, BAME activists, black and ethnic minority activists have been crying out for uh, a space to be heard for a very long time. Uh, BAME labor is defunct and nobody really knows who runs their Twitter, um, their Twitter page. And that's also why in, in the last couple of weeks, um, in the last couple of months, organizations like Socialists of Color the 1987 caucus, the BAME label, the grassroots, these organizations have popped up because there was a void. So not only are we trying to fight for black male representation, but we're also trying to fight to ensure that ethnic minority members and activists have their voices heard. And there is a channel and a streamline and a structure where we can speak truth to power, speak truth to leadership, and leadership will actually pay attention to us. We have a long list of other um, demands and recommendations and ideas that we would like to, to, to work with um, and implement in the Labour Party but I would love to encourage all of your listeners to go on to the Labourlist uh, website and, and check out our article where we talk about in depth um, the, the changes that we would like to see. Absolutely um, and you talked about um, having voices heard there um, and I think that'd be a good place to bring Armin and Jake on and that so prior to setting up the 1987 corpus um, I mean, what was your experience within the Labour Party as an activist within the Labour Party on um, having your voice heard? Um, it's it's been remarkably difficult. Uh, I just I'll just shout out my local council in Enfield. So in the last uh, local elections, um, pretty much uh, I think all but three uh, black councillors within the Enfield Council all got deselected because uh, so. And when we tried, and now, of course, there's been up for official investigation, but I think that just shows you, you know, the trouble that is, that is going through. And every time I try to raise that up, I get shouted down. And I think one thing that is a huge, huge problem, and it is a reason why Labour are just so terrible when it comes to tackling disciplinary and racism, is because everybody is, um, everybody's using our struggles and our worries and our concerns for fractional gain. So, listen, we got, we got a lot of support early on regarding uh, anti-racism and anti-black racism within the party. But one thing I'm really, really concerned about is a lot of reason why, main, a, a lot why some people might do it is because it is a way we could, they could stick a knife to Keir Starmer. And for example, because when I said the exact same things regarding when Jeremy Corbyn was in power, they said, oh, don't worry. You know, we always want to wait for the, right socialists in power and even that means another boring right man in power so i think you know i think that is one thing that i really am concerned about is that these issues have been used for factional gain rather than actually tackling anti actually tackling racism within our society and especially within our party 
Um, so, I mean, I joined uh, relatively recently, um, January 2019. I actually joined in the height of the anti-Semitism crisis and the uh, kind of Brexit uh, second referendum crisis um, within Labour. I, I joined mostly because I was seeing how ridiculously the party was handling racism, um, but also because I believed that there was a distinct, um, you know, black voices weren't weren't being heard on on black issues um, enough, and I wanted to contribute towards that. But also, my experience was was one of particularly one of joining was one of finding my own feet, um, which I guess um, it depends on what kind of person you are. For most people, that's fine. Um, for some people, that's very confusing. And quite um, intimidating, um, and having the 1987 caucus um, and socialists of colour has been extremely useful because now people can join the Labour Party and know exactly where they need to go for for organising on issues that they care about, um, and that's something that I didn't have um, as as a young activist joining Labour. So I'm extremely grateful for that, and I think we need to cultivate that um, much more in this party. Mm, absolutely um and the common theme amongst everything which all of you just said was about how poor this was in the labor party um and still is poor in the labor party um yeah. and jermaine uh you said that the tories um are actually doing much better in terms of black male representation um in their mps and the tories uh like to talk a lot particularly recently about how um, you know, both the Home Secretary and the Chancellor of the Exchequer are BAME individuals. And we, we talked about this in, in a previous episode of the podcast called Liberating Labour about this idea that the Labour Party is supposed to be the party, the political party of political liberation and equality and all of those ideals and practices, but so frequently in practice fall short. Um, do, do you think there are, there are structural reasons for why the Labour Party hasn't been able to create these spaces successfully um, over the past couple of decades until now? Yeah, just on a couple of points that you've made, um, I'm just writing it down because, you know, my memory is terrible. <laughs> um, so in terms of the Tory party, what they're doing is very superficial. They're just putting black and brown faces in high places and they believe that's enough. But we need to be mindful and very careful because they are looking at what's going on in the Labour Party right now, and they are thinking about what is the next demographic of voters that we need to go after next. Who are we going to appeal to? You can already see what they did with the Father's Day tweet with, 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 the, with the black father, and well, fully well knowing that if he was a black Caribbean man, he would have been deported on a plane. So I don't know where they're going with, with all this. But you, you can see the agenda that they are about to approach. They're going to go after the black vote. And they understand that the black vote is very powerful because in the last general election, there was over 100 seats that if all black voters voted one way, they would have swung that seat in that direction. So they, they understand how strong the black vote is. And they're looking at what Labour has done over recent times. They've looked at the Labour League. They've looked at how slow the Labour Party was to, to call an inquiry into how COVID is impacting um, BAME communities. They, they, they're, they're looking at the, the lack of BAME structures and black structures, and I need to stop using those words interchangeably, the lack of black structures within the party. And they're saying, and they're seeing how black members are also leaving the party. 
and the Tories with their superficial selves are going to be like, come into our arms. We're going to be the party for you. And we should not fall for that. But can you blame people for that? And this, and this goes into my next, my next point about this idea of uh, in order to be democratic, you're undemocratic. So in order to, to push candidates with the same ideals, you, you squeeze the entrance point to ensure that your candidate gets through. So in order to increase democracy, you limit it. You understand what I'm trying to say? So um, what, let me give you an example. I will talk about my experience in running for the NEC BAME rep, whereby when you broke down the votes, I came third in the election. Um, and Carol Sewell, who is now our NEC, NEC BAME rep, she came first and they split the vote 50-50 members and trade unionists. Now you would think the trade unionists consulted their members. They didn't. What we, what we had was white general secretaries in a room making the decisions on who will represent black and ethnic minority members in the labor movement. I came third, but I came first with the amount of members who voted for me. So some people would refer to that as, as a popular vote. So it calls into question how democratic is that process? How are we allowed to self-organize and have a one member, one vote? whereby black and ethnic minority members can actually vote for who their representation is. I don't have a problem with trade unions being involved. I, I call for trade unions to be involved, but I want trade unions to be involved in a very democratic way. Allow your ethnic minority members and your trade unions to have a vote, have a say. That wasn't the case this year. Let's hope it is the case with future elections. That leads nicely on to, well, it leads nicely to a couple of different questions. But um, one thing which um, another member of our editorial team asked was whether, do you, do you think a future Labour government should legislate to expand the list of exceptions around shortlisting candidates? Um, so currently, legally, only all women shortlists are allowed. Um, but do you think that should be expanded? I, like... Uh, I believe in an all BAME shortlist because I remember, I don't remember when all women's shortlist came in, they came in during the Blair years, but I do, re I do recall reading when all women's shortlist was implemented and people hated them. Um, you know, people absolutely detested them. Like they're saying, you know, it's really undemocratic, but my God, it was successful. It was really successful in getting great women, great women MPs uh, into uh uh, into power and you could see, really see the benefits now uh, even though it, it, it's probably because you know we lost a lot of MPs during the 2019 general election but now the implementation of an all-woman system was immense success I do believe in an all-Bane shortlist because it will increase Bane and proper Bane representation um, um, but yeah you're right we have to legislate that that has to be a thing that a Labour campaign puts on its manifesto and, and and puts forward, especially in places where there is a historic community there. Um, but even when it's not, I mean, the reason why the Conservatives managed to get so many black male uh, MPs or black or fame MPs is because they didn't give a damn about what the local party thinks. They like this guy. They think he will make a great MP. They parachuted him in a safe seat. So that's why, you know, you got people like James Cleverly, Benafomi, um, and, and other people got into uh, safe spaces 
but we are a democratic party we believe in a we believe in a we believe in local members having a say over where where they should go as such i think all being shortlist can can should be implemented and we've already seen when when they when when you know things are changed when a selection committee has sort of implemented all bane shortlist on a premise of an all woman all bane shortlist i think uh um and you, and there were successes in there i think uh um in stratton bell uh won because she had an all woman all bane uh not because she had a woman she won on an all woman all bane shortlist in stratton and she's a fantastic representative who've been really pushing for uh migrant rights especially so i think that is one thing uh, you can say in terms of all bank shortness. I do believe that it's vital and I do believe that uh, it can be uh, implemented and and it would improve black male representation because um, I think, you know, no, BAME, no black male uh, MPs were selected in 2017. Um, I think a couple were selected in 2019, but in seats where we were never going to win. Um, the last person to be selected and won a seat was Clive Lewis five years ago. Uh, in fact, I think he was the only one in the past 10 years. In the same years, the Conservatives got five or six. And I think that just shows you just how poor we have been in terms of black male representation. I, th- I think this leads nicely onto a question about the um, external, electoral, more public side of things with the Labour Party and how it... Um, how it communicates voters, how it brings in voters, um, and what it should publicly be doing with regards to being more actively anti-racist um, and also promoting um, promoting the kind of stuff that we've been talking about now. Um, and Jake, um, I want to ask you about this because I know you've been you've been critical of Keir Starmer's leadership um, on this at the moment. Mm. Um, mm. So, <laughs> um, so. <laughs> What what do you think that the Labour Party should be doing yeah. to be better on this, basically? Um, not just yeah. internally, but also like with how it communicates to voters, how the MPs, how Labour MPs act and speak. Um, yeah. And yeah, all that sort of thing. So um, my uh, uh, something I've, I've observed, particularly like in Keir Starmer's leadership, but also in Jeremy Cor- Corbyn's leadership, is just the central priorities of the Labour Party. Um, the Labour Party is so is so hell bent on power that it is willing to throw people under the bus for that power. It's willing to to take on authoritarian um, policy to to get power because they know it's popular, right? And the problem with this is that not only is it extremely lazy because you're 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 not improving as a as a vehicle of change you are not changing anything by molding to the status quo now what made jeremy corbyn's leadership um as successful it was in the early days in particular was because and, and why he was so popular was because he shifted consensus um and and that's what we need to be doing. We need to we need to be constantly developing narratives and and building the evidence to show that our current the ways in which um, the the ways in which we operate as a society aren't functional, and those systems need rebuilding. Some some of them dismantling. Um, and 
you know, I, I, it really stresses me out <laughs> in a way, seeing how willing people are to kind of have new, like innovative policy for things, say like education, etc. Um, but then when it comes to, to racial politics, we're, we're still stuck in the sixties with our, with our, <laughs> with our racial policy sometimes like, we should be taught we can see that our our police systems our prison systems aren't working and we need to be talking about solutions here we need we can't keep it's not sustainable to have this reactionary you know more bobbies on the beat um type policy making it's not it's not sustainable but the problem is is that it's also not popular at the moment so what we need to be doing as a party is that we need to make that popular and we can do that in the same way that we made anti-austerity popular. Um, we need to be building narratives about how, for example, over-policing um, the school like prison pipelines, that those things, how those are affecting society and how we can fix those things pragmatically. Um, and I think that Keir Starmer's, uh, Keir Starmer's not bothering, like despite him calling himself a radical, he's not bothering. And I think that's, it's quite, I, I just find it insulting is, is, the, is the bottom line. I find it insulting. Um, I think with, you know, Keir Starmer, one of the things, you know, one of the things that I, that I constant, constantly get with Keir Starmer is that he's just not brave enough. He's just not brave enough to tackle issues head on. Like uh, people would, cloak that in a saying or in a sense of electability uh say oh he's just doing this to be electable i mean you know jeremy corbyn was brave enough to change the consensus on austerity on other stuff maybe not so much but you know Keir Starmer has his his words would have a lot of weight he used to be the former director of public prosecutions and he probably knows that there is there is much change needs to be done in the police if, exactly. yeah. if if Labour constantly calls for reforms, if or like changes or stuff like that, something will be done. And I think, um, you know, that does need more black voices. I've known, and I think that's why that's why Keir Starmer's not brave enough. There are no black people in his advice team, as far as I'm concerned. There are no people who actually says the messaging is just wrong. You will you will lose black voters over this. Um, David Lammy is the closest, uh, if I could come, if you can come close. And um, I mean, I, one thing that Labour did do was the McPherson report, which shows that the police was institutionally racist and the recommendations they put forward were pretty much next to nothing. How can you say that a police is institutionally racism and then give reforms that, are, that would do nothing to, to help that? What I'm trying to say is, Labour should point these out constantly, point out that, that our criminal justice system is inherently racist at the core, point out that our education system is inherently racist at the core, point out that, uh, you know, just point out that this country has a lot of problems when it comes to institutional racism. If it does, people will listen. And like, if you just show them, you know, you know if you just show them that, some people might deny it. Some people in awkward places that Labour needs to win might deny it. But it's about, you know, there, there, there has to be a balance with getting power, but also doing the bloody right thing, because that's why we're all here in politics for. That's why we're all here in activism. Mm, yeah. and, and just to add on to that last point that Armin was making, it's about doing the right thing. What kind of society do we want to be living in? 
what kind of world do we want to create for future generations? Because we're creating the same world if we stay on the status quo bandwagon, and that's exactly what leadership is doing. They're waving the status quo flag. They're not being brave enough to put forward an alternative society that works for everyone. Just a small example of that. I've stopped, and I, and I refuse to use the term the new normal in describing what post-COVID society um, would look like. And that's because the new normal just means a post-COVID world with the same status quo, with the same institutions, with the same inequalities, with the same level of racism, with the same institutional, structural, and systemic challenges that we as ethnic minorities face. Instead of using a new normal, how about a better normal? And I want care and leadership to adopt the idea of a better normal. How can we create a better world? I'm talking to the borough commander for Hackney um, later on this evening, and I'm gonna be talking to him about what can you do to, to create a better society? Because some of the images that I'm seeing uh, out of uh, Hackney and, and other areas around the country, you would think that we're still in the 60s and 70s. When we're seeing statues being torn down, you, like, great, I, I love the statues being torn down, it raises awareness, but again, those are just cosmetic changes. We need institutional and structural changes, reforms, and that needs to come from labour. I don't know what they need to do, whether it's daily conversations, labour TV, on a website, an online conversation, about how do we move the country's consensus to creating a better society. But I can guarantee you, the status quo doesn't work for black people. The status quo doesn't work for the most vulnerable in society. The status quo doesn't work for working class people. The status quo doesn't work for so many people in this country. So why are we on its bandwagon? Why are we repeating the same policies that don't work for us instead of creating a better society? And so, something which, um, uh... Jake and Armin, you both brought up, was about the criminal justice system and the police. Um, and this has definitely been something which has dominated um, political discourse over the past couple of weeks um, in response to the murder of George Floyd. And Jake, um, I think you're writing an article for the website about this issue, about um, police defundment, yeah. uh, abolition. Yeah, so that's going to be my next question um, quickly. Um, what... What would what do you think this would look like in the UK to sort of give a preview mm. of what you're going to write? Mm. <clears throat> so um, essentially, the uh, police abolitionism is quite a is probably one of the scarier political terms to hear if you're not politically minded, because what you would originally think the first thing that everyone really thinks is, oh, that sounds like anarchy to me. You know, what would happen if, um, say. So my my nan was was burgled, etc. Um, and what this is about is essentially we've heard it before um, in traditional politics: um, tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime. Um, the the issue is is that being tough on crime creates engenders more crime. It engenders more more um, inequality, um, and it creates more crime. Being tough on crime means that we have to on, on the causes of crime sorry means that we need to start investing in the public services that would otherwise prevent crime from taking place um so for example if someone steals because they're desperate um you know robs a shop because they're, they're they're desperate they need to feed their kids if we have um sufficient public services where people can um get food that they need for the week 
that won't need to happen. And and this and this is true for you know it's quite complicated, but um, basically we need to, to divest from the police gradually over, over a period of time and reinvest into public services and create new public services as well. Um, basically, to take the jobs out of the hands of the police, stop giving people ordinary citizens the power of arrest. Um, because that's where we see the corruption of power um, and people's lives at risk. Um, and, you know, push for that. It sounds utopian, but it's, it's, it's just, it's quite simply just problem solving. Um, you know, there are some issues that the police deal with that are problems and not crimes. Um, you know, altercations um, and kind of petty crime and stuff like that. These things can be de dealt with public services on a, on a kind of long period of time and that's what I want to demonstrate in my article is that this is a thing that we could be doing over a period of time to de-escalate crime. Awesome um, and I just have one quick final question because I know we've all got to wrap up in a second but um, Jermaine um, is, 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 is that kind of thing something which um, you want to be pushing for in the 1987 caucus as the first, um, first yes or no question and then um, we talked a lot about um, consensus shifting and uh, bravery and that kind of thing. Is part of the problem that the leadership is afraid because of the 2019 general election result to be more radical? Um, in answer to your first question, I think it is, it is definitely um, a campaign that the 1987 can get behind, but we'll have to consult the rest of the members um, about that because we know about the disproportionate effect and how overrepresented we are in the prison system. Uh, we know that we're stopped and searched um, far more than our white counterparts. We know that we're stopped and searched for drugs more than our white counterparts, even though our white counterparts use drugs more and there are studies that show that. So definitely looking at how do we create a society um, and a structure that works on prevention and intervention, providing young people with the services that they, they need, whether that be in school or at home or on the street, youth clubs, so they don't want to or, 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 or go down a life of crime um, and that's, a, that's the type of society that I would like to live in as well uh, and in answer to your, your question the last one I do think that they are very scared about um, uh, learning from the lessons of the past um, but I think that we should also learn from the lessons of the past um, and build on how uh, on the hope that Jeremy Corbyn created and instilled in all of us and to create a better society. so much for listening to another episode of the social review podcast i do really hope you enjoyed it the link to the labor list article about the founding of the 1987 caucus that jermaine referenced at the beginning of the podcast uh, is linked in the show notes so do definitely go and check that out give that a read uh, and go check out their twitter as well which will also be linked um, and you can have a look at some of the work that they're doing as mentioned, Jake is going to be writing an article for the website about the police abolition, police defunding movement, and we're going to have or we'll try to organise at least a follow-up conversation, uh, follow-up conversation on the podcast um, after that is published. So do listen out for that as well. Otherwise, thanks so much for listening. Have a good rest of your week. Bye bye. <music>